Hi, this is Jorge Padron with Joy Sounds, music you need to know. And I'll be your host today as we dive into a topic I'm really passionate about, strings and popular music. This is coming to you from my altogether cramped but cozy studio apartment in beautiful Pasadena, California. I'm in my third year as a graduate student at the University of Southern California Thornton School of Music, and I'm working toward my DMA degree in music teaching and learning. I'm originally from Miami, Florida, the magic city, where I was a public school teacher. I directed a high school orchestra program, oversaw four levels of guitar classes, and taught strings at three different elementary schools. Suffice it to say that I had little in the way of free time. Teaching strings has always been a big passion of mine since I started my collegiate journey. There was something about the physicality of the emotions that appealed to me. I love the way they sounded and felt to play. And I will always hold that teaching strings is not only cheaper than band, but also way easier. After all, you can see so many issues in young players clearly, though band teachers might disagree. However, since I picked up the violin, I did notice how absolutely and thoroughly tied to the classical canon it all was. People around me had an image and preconception of string instruments as fancy or anachronistic. After all, Stradivari fetched millions at auctions. What do you think of when you hear the word violin? People with little musical background are probably imagining a fancy European man in a powdered wig and frock coat. Even musicians themselves, unless they are really in the biz, often lump strings into their own confusing category. I can't tell you how many music teachers I have known that are terrified of introducing beginning strings into their programs. It just seems so difficult, foreign, and ultimately so very classical. That's not to say that string teachers don't have their biases, of course. In fact, that's what we're here to talk about today. But before I get ahead of myself, I want to talk to you a little bit about how my musical tastes evolved. I grew up around a lot of non-musicians. They liked music, but didn't play much outside of their school programs. My parents and grandparents loved the music of their homelands, so I knew a lot of the Cuban greats. Olga Guillot, Benny Moré, Willy Chirino, Celia Cruz, you name it, and I had heard it at one point or another. Through my musician uncle and his family, I was also introduced to jazz and pop music early on thanks to having plenty of family members that were really into it. You see, growing up in the South, even in the melting pot of Latin American cultures that is Miami, meant that I was exposed to plenty of Almond Brothers, ZZ Top, and Leonard Skinner. However, it also meant that when Daddy Yankee and Pitbull released a new single, I heard it plenty of times. My musical landscape, much like most people, was shaped by my surroundings. My neighborhood, Little Havana, my family, Cuban exiles, and my friends, mostly Latino nerds. Now, I consider myself fortunate to have started on a clarinet and guitar, and most of my institutional musical learning was with wind instruments. I speak that language and understand that world better than a lot of string players that weren't born into it. The clarinet ended up being a blessing. Outside of the world of pain, it saved me in dealing with wind players on the podium. It meant I got to play in jazz band, got to learn jazz solos, and could develop a taste for a lot of music outside of my school's band class. My string teacher brethren may disown me here, but band teachers have had to adapt to a canon that isn't as rigid due to the nature of their discipline. This is one way that band is, and has always been, better than orchestra, as much as I hate to admit that. Marching bands in particular are not afraid to play movie themes, show tunes, or top 40s hits. This just isn't the case in the orchestra class. Can you remember the last time a school orchestra concert played anything other than the much maligned Dead White Guy playlist? Most NAFME-backed school music organizations don't allow that at festivals. At best, you might be able to take your groups on stage for judges' comments. Now don't get me wrong, I love classical music. Bach and Mahler are my top favorite composers, and you definitely are committed to classical music if you like Mahler. Trust me here, plenty of classical musicians don't even like Mahler. 
Sorry, I lost my focus. <laughs> that intro just blows my mind every time. Anyway, I mean it when I say my classical grid is solid. Now, and you can imagine this in Lawrence Fishburne's voice with the shades if you want, but what if I told you that there's more to orchestra class than prepping to play the tunes of the European masters? What if the cello can do more than play Packerbell's canon at wedding gigs? Imagine that violist playing a swanky jazz solo. Well, lots of pro clutching might ensue, but this is the reality of the world of music outside the string orchestra class. And yet so many teachers aren't taking advantage of it. Chances are that, if you aren't a mariachi musician or a bluegrass aficionado, you might not realize that the world of string playing outside of the classical repertory is not just a niche side attraction. But before we get to that, let's talk a little bit about what school orchestra classes are meant to do and how they aren't necessarily doing it right now. To get into that discussion, we need to go back in time to the 1960s. See, the National Association for Music Education, or NAFME, that I mentioned earlier, the flagship organization for American music teachers of all creeds and stripes, used to be called MENC, or Music Educators National Congress. And this was around the time that they began to really formulate a position on school music. Dr. Michael Mark, a former professor and dean at Townsend University, writes that MENC began expanding its functions dramatically in the second half of the 20th century. Now, why would we do this? Well, they were upset about a seminar held at Yale in 1963. That seminar was supported by a large government grant to analyze school music and to propose improvements. In what will surely surprise no teachers anywhere, the analysis and proposing were done by musicologists, composers, and performers who knew little or nothing about music education. And of course, without any input, from music educators. <sighs> I guess something's never changed. MENC wasn't having it, and so they staged their own seminar at Tanglewood in 1967, but called it a symposium, so it wouldn't sound the same. At this symposium, one of the biggest takeaways was the drafting of a declaration, fittingly called the Tanglewood Declaration, which listed, in eight individual points, solid philosophical underpinning to all future efforts in music education. All of them are really great. But I want to draw attention to the second one. Now there's a long preamble that I'll skip for the sake of brevity, so here we go. <clears throat> Music of all periods, styles, forms, and cultures belongs in the curriculum. The musical repertory should be expanded to involve music of our time in its rich variety, including currently popular teenage music and avant-garde music, American folk music, and the music of other cultures. How cool is that? Those forward-thinking music educators and philosophers were saying all music teachers need to create programming that is inclusive, diverse, and specifically references the commercial music that kids enjoy. So are we doing that now, in the school orchestra class? Well, to a point, yes. But boy, has change been slow. The American String Teachers Association, or ASTA, Another big player in the world of U.S. music organizations first recognized these quote-unquote non-classical genres for strings by forming a small committee for the 2003 ASTA National Conference. However, this proved problematic because the term implied that classical music was innately superior and was thus replaced by alternative strings. Over time, ASTA has undertaken a concerted effort to both promote the diversification of string ensembles while also codifying and cataloging resources for new, alternative ways to employ strings. The current term of art is alternative or eclectic styles and can be generalized to mean performing and educating with non-classical music of Western and non-Western origin. These two terms are used interchangeably, and anyone in ASTA will know what you mean when you say that. Now, what does that mean in practice? Well, four styles are big favorites at conferences and in classrooms that embrace alternative styles. Jazz, fiddle, rock, and mariachi. 
Each of these have extensive method book series, learning courses, and national conferences sometimes feature big artists and pedagogues that specialize in these genres. More and more, we see groups like the generic name High School Mariachi Orchestra or insert name Middle School Rock Band at these conferences. The tides are changing, and I'm excited for the future of music at and strings. Now that you know a little bit of the background and my own musical interests, I'll share a little secret with you. I'm not a professional pop musician. I've taught school music for some time, but that world is just not mine. In an effort to get a better insight into what it really means to be a string player in the pop music world, I reached out to someone who really knows what it's like, Andrea Witt. My name is Andrea Witt, and I am a multi-instrumentalist. I play viola, violin, and pedal steel guitar. Um, you can find me on social media on Instagram at Boho Bunny, B-O-H-O-B-U-N-N-I-E. Um, you can also find me on Facebook um, under Andrea Witt, W-H-I-T-T, and my website is bohobunny.com. Andrea, who is not only an international recording artist, but a gifted painter as well, has built a career around popular music. What's a typical workday for you? I'm putting out a... Um, a music video on Friday and you know so today is just like really finalizing the mix for the video and you know I was driving around in my car listening to different different mixes choosing which one coming back to the mix um and from I have to make like a little promo video tonight so there's there's more aspects than than just playing that goes into my normal work day so there's a lot of a promo going on for for me right now and this whole week is going to be about getting photos out and emails and talking to my PR girl and all that stuff. Um, if it's not like a big release week, then I'll, you know, if I have time, I'll sit and I'll practice for three hours and I'll learn more stuff. Um, I play the pedal steel guitar, so that's, it's a newer instrument for me. So I'm always transcribing stuff. Um, if I'm practicing strings, um, I'm, I'm mostly practicing violin, uh, even though viola is my main instrument. I, I practice violin because I can get more hours out of it. I don't get as tired. <laughs> I can transcribe more stuff. Um, I can play faster and, and then I can put it on viola later. So it's, you know, I just, um, it's a lot easier to do that. But, you know, if I have time, I'll put in three hours or more a day of practicing. And then um, I, I'm also a visual artist. So I get, I get uh, painting commissions and, um, I'm always trying to keep up with that. So I, it's all over the place. I do kind of feel like my life is like a summer camp, like an arts camp, like Interlochen. I've always, you know, just wanted to kind of just do everything artistic. And that's really how I try to leave, lead my life every day. Phew. I was tired just thinking about it. But none of this would surprise anyone that works as a musician for a living. The hustle is real, whether you play classical or pop music. Now, what did someone that's toured with Shania Twain and has recording credits on several Grammy award-winning albums do to get there? Well, you'd be surprised to know that she had a pretty standard pathway through the classical world. Indeed, Andrea has some serious classical music cred, too. So what was your early musical training like? Did you get to do any non-classical things at all? When I was nine years old, I was in the elementary school orchestra, and I chose viola as my first instrument. Um... And then I started taking private lessons. I went to Interlochen Arts Camp um, during the summers in high school. And then I majored in viola performance at um, 
first for a couple years at Ohio State, and then I transferred to University of Cincinnati, the College Conservatory of Music. Um, I did my undergrad and my master's in viola performance in Cincinnati. Andrea's post-college path was fairly typical for most string players. Play viola well and land an orchestra gig. I didn't think it was possible to play pop music on viola. I just thought my role as a violist was to play classical music and get a job in an orchestra. I that was my mindset, my path um, that I you know that I was going to do. Why at the same time, you know, I did want to play in a rock band, but I didn't think that my instrument could lead me there. She wasn't exactly playing a bunch of pop music during her K-12 through time either. Her musical tastes weren't reflected in the music she was playing at school, much like a lot of children in orchestra classes. It really didn't feature much popular music whatsoever. Um, you know, it was strictly, you know, a method book from, you know, fourth, fifth grade, you know, doing all the Suzuki method books on viola and, you know, eventually graduating into doing you know, actual viola rep, um, you know, preparing for college auditions and stuff. Um, so there was, you know, very little, I mean, I would say maybe in, in youth orchestra, I honestly, I think maybe like the most pop thing we did would be like West Side Story. But yeah, it was, it was pretty rare that, um, I mean, I don't, I don't ever remember any pop music, and I was, I was super into it. You know, I was really into Nirvana and Smashing Pumpkins and like the whole grunge scene when that came out when I was like 12, 13 years old. And I, I really wanted to be in a band, but I honestly, like, I didn't even know I could ask anyone about it because I was a, a classical musician. And I'm like, well, that is my role. I'm a classical violist. And I, you know, I, there wasn't an outlet and I didn't even know there was an an option for me to do that, really. Much has been written about this lack of relevance since the 1967 symposium. In 2011, Dan Williams wrote in NAFME's own journal, which is called the Music Educator's Journal, about the disconnect between the way we structure school music programs and how students experience music, likening it to an elephant in the room that, quote, the model for music education was established during the early 1900s and has remained relatively unchanged for a century. That's nuts. It begs the question of how someone like Andrea got pulled towards the alternative styles world, having had such a strong classical upbringing. What led you to what you do now then? Was it an easy switch? See, I started getting into jazz in college. So that's when I started to improvise. And, you know, that is nothing before then. And even, you know, trying to improvise for the first time in college I mean, it was the most terrifying thing in my life. I was just like, someone's like, play over the blues. I was like, well, what note? Like, <laughs> they're like, play anything. And I'm like, I, you don't understand. I have no idea what note to even pick. It wasn't all stressful, though. When asked about one big benefit of her classical roots, Andrea shed light on one of the biggest benefits of traditional musical schooling. A lot of that is uh, reading, note reading, um, and, you know, being able to walk onto it to a session and be able to read all the music and, you know, not feel uncomfortable at all. Um, and people knowing that I, you know, that I can read and I can be hired for a job like that. That's absolutely huge. Um, and that's, that's a hard thing to get if you're not in that super rigid classical training where you're reading these, this really difficult scores and just really difficult pieces. If you don't have that, I mean, that's, I, 
you know, I do think both types of, um, all types of music are, are great to learn, but like classical music really does teach you those skills of note reading. Researchers and writers like Lucy Green have written about how notation and the ability to read music can be an added benefit to popular musicians as well. The added flexibility and capacity to transition between these two worlds through this medium is invaluable to just about any musician, but it's certainly not a requirement to success. I wondered then if there were other benefits to having these solid classical chops. In what other ways did your classical background serve your current professional goals? It fulfilled like a lot of things that I needed to accomplish as, you know, as far as technique and, you know, being able to really control like muscle movements, especially being a string player. Like it's, it's really hard as an adult to become a professional string player and to have these really fine motor movements in your hands and your, you know, your left hand, your bow hand, your, I mean, your bow hold is everything. That's like how everything is created and um you know just that the the super rigid training technique training um has helped me be able to take you know find my own sound and being comfortable with experimenting with different ways and different approaches to play the instrument because i'm comfortable in in moving you know my muscles in certain ways that maybe if i didn't have that rigid training on you know the classical sense i might not be able to feel as comfortable, you know, exploring my instrument in that certain ways. What about ways in which um, your training could have been enhanced? Uh, anything you wish you had more of at that time? I'm always constantly practicing and trying to make my improvising chops better. And if I had that type of training from a younger age, you know, I, I know I would be an even you know, better improviser, you know, better at playing in rock ensembles or bluegrass or jazz or, you know, whatever, you know, my skills would just be, you know, a lot better, even though, you know, I do really appreciate all the classical training, but I think everything else is just as important. And, and once you reach a certain level in your classical training, once your technique is there, um, you know, I, I really think it's important to expand and play out other different styles. Andrea spoke at length about ways in which popular music can inform and strengthen classical chops as well. I was so shocked. When I walked into college, I walked into my first um, music theory class. And my teachers I had prior to that, I, I literally did not understand music theory whatsoever. The second I understood music theory was when it was applied to my instrument in my jazz improvisation class. And that is the only way I think you can truly understand music theory and how it works is if you actually play it. And if you're studying jazz and playing all these chords and you're forced to, you know, play around a two, five, one progression and pick out your chord tones, then you really understand music theory. And what's cool about that is you can bring that back into your classical music and, re and then super analyze the classical music. And, and on top of that, it makes memorizing your classical music a lot easier because you understand what the heck is going on. Again, many writers have spoken to this improved transfers between genres. It's just more engaging when you can use more than one musical medium to teach a concept. Think of how much more relevant Romeo and Juliet is when you can read the text and then see it played out in West Side Story. I was really interested in this angle, so I asked more about ways in which traditional K-12 through teachers can better serve their students. What might they want to do to prepare future prop string musicians? Were there any topics that classes ought to cover? Andrea did not disappoint and went all out here, and I loved every moment of it. 
If you could tell teachers something specific, what might you say? Uh, students who are really interested in music should know how to record themselves. Uh, should know gear, you know, what type of gear goes into the studio. Um, how do you edit stuff? Uh, you know, I, I took a class in, in high school on Finale, and I learned how to use Finale, the music notation software, really good. Um, that I found super helpful for a while. When I was instructing orchestras for a while, I would do arrangements and stuff, and I was real fast at Finale, and that, that training super helped. Um, but yeah, definitely that. Also, literally just like the business side of music is so important. Um, you know, as far as like, if you're writing a song or, you know, publishing, writing, you know, percentages, licensing a song, like how do you make money from your music? It's, (laughs) you know, it, for me, everyone told me like, you're going to be in an orchestra or you're going to have a string quartet. And no, there's just so much more to that. And, um, so many more options and show kids like your options and how you can make a career doing all different things in music. Unsurprisingly, and exactly in line with the literature, Andrea mentioned how important it was to work informally in small groups. In fairness to classical musicians, chamber ensembles are very important in traditional Western music, but these are highly structured sessions, often with a coach, and the repertoire is still within the classical canon. There's not much of an emphasis on small groups outside of this. Lastly, I wanted to get into the nitty-gritty. I asked Andrea to think about some difficulties that string players face if they want to go down that road. She first surprised me by presenting a question that I hadn't thought about. What about if you want to go to your own way? Uh, Anything people need to know or be able to do to enter that world? Is there a spot for the string player in the band? You know, it's... um, I think a lot of people now more than ever are really accepting of the fact that, you know... There's, there are a lot of strings, you know, in different bands and stuff. But, um, you know, sometimes there's there'd be a group that I'm like, man, I wish I could play with so-and-so. But, like, would they want a violinist in their group? Um, would they want a violist? So, yeah, I mean, it's it's becoming more and more common. But it's still, you know, there's not as many spots, at you know, as there would be for a bass player or a guitar player. I'm fortunate that I do play multiple instruments and that has helped me immensely uh, you know playing in different bands because I not only can can do fiddle styles or like rock or stuff but I also play pedal steel which is you know that's not an easy instrument and it's not a common instrument to play and there's not that many of us that play that so it's kind of, you know, as I get to be, you know, multi-instrumentalist in a band rather than just a string player. So that has helped. And I would say if you are a string player and looking to get into a band and pop music and all that stuff, pick up another instrument, 100%. Sing something. But I definitely pick up another instrument. That is the biggest advice I can give to anyone wanting to go into the pop music scene as a string player. As someone who always liked to do more than one thing and played several instruments, I was really excited to hear this. I have personally always enjoyed the flexibility of going between those worlds, and if there's one thing that comes across in the experiences of pop musicians just like her, it's how incredibly valuable this flexibility is. But you might be thinking, Jorge, that's a huge time commitment to get good on more than one thing. 
Indeed, the Catalan cellist Pablo Casals was famously asked why he still practices four to five hours a day in his 80s, and he answered that he thought he was finally making progress. So how can we, mere mortals, do more than one thing well? Does someone need to be a pro on all those instruments? In pop music in general, you don't have to shred on an instrument. If you can play an instrument competently, if you can play, if you can, if you're you can pick up guitar and play, you know, good rhythm guitar, like, or bass or, or keys. Keys are, you know, a lot of people ask me, okay, you can play fiddle. Can you play keys? And I'm like, I mean, I could, I could sit there and learn keys, but do I want to? No. But, you know, maybe that's a good choice for someone who wants to pick up another instrument. Well, that's refreshing to hear. Is there anything else you'd like to see reflected in uh, music classes to better serve the pop string musicians of the future? I, I think a lot of, you know, there is new repertoire being added, but I think as music educators, I think there needs to be diverse styles chosen um, all the time. Um, I think uh, kids need to be introduced to stuff that's not classical music. That's awesome. Let's hope we see more of that reflected in orchestra classes going forward. Before we go, is there anything you'd like to tell the audience that you're working on currently? Yeah, I did a really fun music video, a cover of Melakaliki Maka. And, uh, you know, since it's originally kind of like a steel guitar, heavy tune, Hawaiian uh, sounding. So I did, it's a, it's a pedal steel feature, um, violin on it as well. And um, I'm singing a little bit. So I, I took the plunge and I, I'm not a singer, but I, I am pushing myself to, you know, to try new things. And, and I honestly deserve, I thought that the arrangement of the song deserves some vocals. That was kind of why I was like, you know what? It needs to have some vocals on the Christmas song. So, you know what? Just, just trying it. And I'm, you know, I'm really excited to release it. So hopefully everyone's not sick of Christmas in January and <laughs> can check out Melakaliki Maka. That's really neat. I look forward to hearing that. Hey, Andrea, thanks a ton for your insights and your expertise. Remember, you can find her at bohobunny.com or at bohobunny on Instagram, and that's bunny with an I-E at the end, B-U-N-N-I-E. Go show her some love. Check out her work. To sum up, much like anything in education, change occurs over time. I'm optimistic about the state of school music. ASTA and NAFME conferences have frequent sessions that address these cosmopolitan specialized genres, and more and more state and regional conferences feature panels on the common alternative styles popular in that region. I want to mention that a recurring trend that appears in most explorations of these styles is the insistence on observation of authentic classroom experiences. Model programs in almost every genre that makes up the list of eclectic styles exist throughout the country, and educators are encouraged to connect with these teachers in an effort to better learn how to fit these new mediums into their own classrooms. It goes without saying that, along the same vein as good culturally responsive practice, teachers unfamiliar with alternative styles are encouraged to first assess the nature of their communities, school, and classes to better reach the populations that may not be present in the curricular discourse. A school in a highly regional community or cultural space may find more success in tailoring a strings class to that region's traditional or cultural musics than, say, diving headfirst into fiddle, pop, or mariachi without any context. Also, when presenting these styles, endeavor to establish good links to recognize masters and culture bearers, as these are the steps educators should take everywhere to build authentic experiences. With all that being said, though we may not totally be where our philosophical forefathers wanted us to be yet, 
we're miles further than we were even 10 years ago. In taking appropriate steps and exploring different traditions outside the realms of large ensembles and Eurocentric Western art music, orchestra programs are doing the work set out by the Tanglewood Symposium in firmly establishing a true, varied, diverse music curriculum that involves a rich variety of music. If this topic has interested you at all, be sure to look at any of the other content on Joy Sounds. I've been your host, Jorge Padron, and I wish you a very prosperous new year.